When you think of great duos, who do you think of? Jordan and Pippen or LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's PK and Puyol or PK and Mascherano or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine, perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. To be honest, I've been doing this show long enough. And as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season. You hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up and kind of have working in the background that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention. Those are the things that I really value at this point. So when my brain is foggy, all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest, or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content. Everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tbpod. Welcome to episode 288 of the Barcelona Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Dan Hilton, and I am joined by my old friend from SK1 Podcast, Rafael Bamui. Rafa, I usually ask everybody how we're doing, but I've already done the Twitch live stream for the or the Barca Bayern game. I've already done an article. I've done the YouTube match review. So I need your help here to see if I missed anything at all. And we're going to have that conversation that nobody wants to have, but let's do it. No, thank you for having me again. It's it's a real pleasure. Um, like I was telling you offline, I didn't have electricity in my apartment for the past few days. I had to watch the Barca Bayern game on my phone, and I wasn't able to go live on my YouTube Mescom Podcast channel. So I I am eager to talk about what happened yesterday. So let's give it a go. Yeah, I mean, the only positive is that in your car on the tiny screen on the phone, there might have been things you missed because on second viewing of some of the highlights, you know, wait, let's start with the tactics right away because I think that's the place to start where the big discussion here, it seems to be nuance is dead, obviously, on the internet. So there's no way to comprehend the fact that Kumi could have potentially got his tactics wrong. At the same time, his team is nowhere near as talented as they need to be to run with Bayern Munich. So it's impossible in our brains to figure out if both are true because a manager either has a job or doesn't have a job. And if every result deals with a manager having needing to lose his job based on not being good enough for that job, that means that there, again, there's no nuance. You can't have a squad not good enough and you can't have a squad in development. Can't be a work in progress. 
Yesterday, we saw both a squad that is a work in progress and not good enough, but there were some alarming things with the way that Kuman set up his team. That said, I think you and I both are talking offline. Uh, it's going to sound like we're coming off as Kuman apologists based on the tactics, based on the, the personnel he has available. But yeah, I mean, Barcelona just isn't good enough. Let's start there. It's, it's the ugly truth. You're 100% right. And the, the quicker we come to... Like we understand that the better it'll be throughout the entire season to comprehend what's happening. And again, I think we just have, and a lot of Barca fans, and I, I say this in the nicest way, there's, there's a lot of Barca fans that became fans in probably the best era of this club's history. And they've been to a certain extent spoiled with arguably the best football they're probably going to see in their lives. So to them, seeing something like this, is like, oh, my God, what's this? But, hey, this is more realistic than what we were seeing in the Pep Guardiola days. So like you were saying, this is a mixture of everything. And we before the game, I said it on, on my YouTube channel, we got to be, let's remain calm. We got to be realistic. We are a work in progress. And on top of that, we have a bunch of important injuries up top. So we had to play against Bayern freaking Munich with Luke de Jong. Let that sink in because the other option was Demir. He's what, 17, 18. We were without Ansu Fati, without Kunawero, without Dembele, and Coutinho was on the bench and played 30 minutes after being almost out for a year. We got to be realistic. Sergi Roberto, he's not my cup of tea, and I didn't want him to play, but that doesn't mean that I don't understand why Kuman probably had no other option or was one of the few options that he had. Serginho Dest picked up the knock against Canada. CONCACAF qualifiers, he was on the bench, but he wasn't fit to play 90 minutes. It's the ugly truth. We just, we just got to accept that. And on top of that, let's be real. In front of us was a juggernaut that last year could have easily repeated the Champions League if it wasn't for a certain, I don't know if you know him, Robert Lewandowski being injured against PSG. But Bayern are still, you could argue that Bayern Munich are still the best team in the world. Yeah, I think you should. Yeah, I think thinking back about it, that, uh, you know, while we're assigning blame in different directions as to why it was a 3 nothing, obviously there was a lot of shade from Eric Garcia's way because he can't handle Robert Lewandowski. Quick little note on that. I, I'm not going to say too much about it. You know, I, I continue to be a bit of an Eric Garcia apologist, but the reason I do is because just like Barcelona, Eric Garcia is a 20-year-old center back who is dealing with the best number nine in the world. So I don't know what people expected. They want him to, you know, when he, the first goal that was a deflection off his backside, that's not what you're supposed to do. You have to remain, remain stationary. And so that instinct, that poor instinct, you know, the idea that that's just going to for a perpetually bad habit that he'll never be able to break. That means that he's not good enough. He's not Champions League material. That's the kind of things I see. And obviously no one is going to be Champions League material against Robert Lewandowski when you're dealing with so much pressure and when the activations of Bayern Munich, and, and this is kind of where I want to get in the nuance too about the blame. So I'm going to actually start with the blame to Ronald Koeman. I think we explained why apologetically you and I both agree that he, this is not the right moment to, to relieve him of duty of his duties, even if, and I can tell you that with the relationship between he and Laporta and all the things that have been, they've been going back and forth with in the media, when it's time for Kuman to go, Laporta will relieve him of his duties. I, I think he's already been pretty clear about that. So in this instance, even if Laporta lost your faith as a president when dealing with the Messi situation, Laporta at least should have some of your confidence that he will he will cut ties with Kuman not a moment too soon, let's or not a moment too late. Let's put it that way. But I think Kuman a little bit let Roberto and Luke De Jong down. 
actually when looking at those tactics. The idea that as the right wing back, Demir in that situation was not going to work just defensively, knowing that they were going to have to defend as much as they did. I know the possession stats were in favor of Barcelona, but the line of confrontation is tactically what's important here. And Bayern's line of confrontation was in Barcelona's half, in like 30 to 40 yards outside of Barcelona's goal. And so they, it, the line of confrontation was where it, it was that possession didn't matter for Barcelona. Okay, so let's start there with the pressure. That said, for Roberto to play the right wing back spot, you have to think that not only could Oscar Mangueta have probably even done better at that instance, but you had Araujo basically playing as a right back when that being Barcelona were trying to get out. And the activation was not to Araujo's side, but rather it was to Eric Garcia and Jordi Alba and Pedri's side. And that's why Jordi Alba turned the ball over 24 times because when Barcelona were trying to get forward, they were looking to get it to Alba up the flank as fast as possible, and he would lose the ball. Same thing with Memphis, where Memphis lost the ball 20 occasions, but that's because you want them to be creating. And they also did have a few successful dribbles, and they were the release valves and the release outlets. That said, Bayern Munich said, you know, just like what I said, that I can't see many other starting 11s other than the one he went with in that 3-5-2, which is really a 5-3-2. And that meant that Luke de Jong, for the first time ever looking at the heat map, had to play next to Pedri, who he'd never played next to or never played with before. And it was no surprise that those two were not combining. Bayern knew where Pedri wanted to put the ball better than Luke de Jong did, which is, again, not a compliment to Luke de Jong. But I also thought his movement, based on making a debut... I mean, it was fine. He's not quick. He couldn't get to the balls that Barcelona needed him to get to. And you're dealing with Umamecano, who is quickly rising as one of the best center back prospects and potentially one of the best center backs in the world in short order. And on Roberto, because Bayern Munich were choosing not to pressure Araujo because they wanted Araujo to play with the ball at his feet, and he gave the ball away in certain instances because he's not the ball-playing center back that Garcia and PKR. And then on Roberto's side, they also wanted him to be the one to have to dribble at people. So he had zero dribbles, but he also attempted zero. It wasn't Roberto's game. It wasn't the, the opportunity for him to be in that instance. And it's, I mean, he gave the ball away nine times, again, as opposed to the 24 for Alba on the other side, but Roberto also did nothing with the ball. And I know people say that it's all Roberto, but uh, Roberto has a job to do. He is a particular player that has been around the club now for, ten, what is it, a, a nine years he's been around the first team. I think most Kool-Aids know who he is, and he is not the player to be playing uh, as a right wing back. Him and Dembele, they're not the same player in any way, and you needed Dembele. You didn't need Roberto. So, I mean, do you pull a captain off at halftime? Uh, I mean, it's a, it's a difficult thing to do. Should he have been started in the first place? Should you put him in Gaitha? Do you ruin Roberto by not inserting him into this game? You, I mean, and, and people would argue that you're ruining Pooh. So I, I think no matter what Kumi could do, it wasn't going to be the right choice, but he certainly didn't make the proper adjustments as, as, as quick as he should have. That, that's the thing. I, I completely agree with your assessment. But, and the thing is, if, if, Kuman didn't pick Sergi Roberto as that right wing back, then the other option was Mingueza, which, don't get me wrong, he could have done better than Sergio Roberto, but then again, it wouldn't have been that more substantial that it would have made a big difference. So at the end of the day, and again, I know I'm going to sound like a Kuman apologist, but it's just what PK said. It is what it is. You had to choose between Sergio Roberto or Mingueza. Mingueza could have done a little bit better, probably. But then again, Luke de Jong, it's just it, who else was there to pick? Demir? Yeah, like if a 17, 18 year old Coutinho wasn't fit for 90 minutes. So at the end of the day, that was another thing that because Bayern Munich well, knew that. Well, Rafa, two- let, let me ask oh. you, though, what would be what was the other option? Not even in player for player, because with the idea of what Luke Young was supposed to do, being that release foul with his back to goal, you can't put Demir in that instance. Right. So it would have to be Memphis as the number nine. And then it would be Coutinho or Demir underneath him. 
And is that a better option? I mean, does it? I think it's a better option, but Coutinho, I don't know if, if he was fit for 90 minutes. Um, and Demir putting him in the starting 11 with all that pressure, I don't know if that was like the thing to do. Luke de Jong didn't work out. He is really, really slow. And I think that Bayern Munich knew that, and that in the end benefited them because they could just pressure even further high up because they had no danger. They knew that Luke de Jong or Memphis weren't going to take advantage of the space they were leaving at their backs. So if we had, let's say, an Ansu Fati or a Dembele, that would maybe would have been a different story because Upamecano and Sula, who isn't that fast to begin with, would have been a little bit more worried about Ansu Fati or Dembele using their speed. But when we had Memphis and Luke de Jong, especially Luke de Jong, they could pressure even higher up and they didn't think about that aspect of the game. So I think everything because of the players that we didn't have, it was just the perfect cocktail of sadly for Barcelona to exploit all our weaknesses that we have as a club in general and yeah. that we have at this current moment. When you think of great duos, who do you think of? Jordan and Pippen or LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's PK and Puyol or PK and Mascherano. Or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine, perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. <coughs> Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. To be honest, I've been doing this show long enough, and as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season. You hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up and kind of have working in the background that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention. Those are the things that I really value at this point. So when my brain is foggy, all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest, or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content. Everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tbpod. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. 
Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, I mean, optimistically, Barcelona, they do have to pay Bayern Munich one more time, but Bayern are not, or let's let's say that they're not going to face any teams like Bayern who are going to derail them from their goals. This loss, 3 nothing. it doesn't... Actually, the worst news out of this is that Alba's out for a month and Pedri's out for two to three weeks. That's actually the worst news because, yeah, looking ahead to La Liga, Atletico Madrid still has done nothing that has inspired me that they would win the Liga over Barcelona. I mean, not say the Barca is better, but I mean, this could be a four-team race with Sevilla, Real Madrid, Atletico Madrid, and the other three have not shown anything that they are all conquering teams like a Bayern Munich. So it, it, it is an instance where you had to look in the mirror and it was one of those where I think people still, at their heart, they begin a match believing that the players, especially PK and Busquets and Frankie de Young and Memphis Dubai and these world-class players, I think there's this belief, especially at the Camp Nou, where historically Barcelona are not taken to the, the, the butcher like that. And so Bayern really were that much more dominant. And so it's always this, you wake up from this nightmare and say, oh, the nightmare is not over yet, but you know we're not good enough to win the Champions League. And of course, and I, I totally understand that emotionally people have that reaction. And I don't want to tell people like, get over this thing, right? I don't want people to move past it. Because it's true that whether it's true that Fatih and Dembele and Alba and Pedri, even when everybody is back and everybody is fit and everybody's healthy and Dest and and, and Aguero, I'm almost done, right? I think that's everybody. So once you get everybody back in and Coutinho's 90 minutes fit, yeah, I think that's still a squad that can win the Liga. I don't think we learned anything new. That's why I said the headlines more from Bayern Munich than trying to learn something about the team. And the other point too that I push back on is the idea of the youth, that it's a lose-lose situation. Because was Kuman brave to put on Alejandro Balda, give him his debut against Bayern Munich, to put on Gabi, who he's seen and trusted before, and Yusuf Demir, who's now wearing the number 11 shirt? Is he brave to put those youngsters on the second half? You know, I talked myself into the fact that no, I mean, I think he's, it would have been brave for him to start those players, to start Balde instead of Alba, because Alba was dealing with a fever and already had a partially torn hamstring. So probably not great to start him in that match. But he didn't want to do that to Balde. He didn't want to throw too much on him because Balde has been overwhelmed in even in other instances with Barcelona beat against difficult opponents. And of course, Balde was going to leave space in behind. So that scoreline was going to be a lot worse with Balde, but you could have got better things out of seeing just how well he worked on that left wing that came in. And to that to the point too, is when Gabi and Balde and Demir came on, Bayern Munich were already in second gear. They had already taken it to second or third gear. They were already in cruise control and Balde got in behind a bunch and he also was partially at fault for the third goal. So both those things can be true. It, and that's what happens with young players. So it, it's an understanding we have to be we have to be realistic about where these players are in their journey, where the club is, as far as even being healthy to compete in the Liga. And that continues to be what needs to happen. That continues to be the focus. And I know it's impossible to like forget where Barca is as a club and this being a milestone, but I don't know, Rafa, I've already kind of moved on. Maybe it's all the content I've done. I don't know. No, no, me too. But I I, I want to pick on your point and I want to say this, like a lot of Barca fans, especially on Twitter, that's like the more vocal social media platform that they are in. 
And it's la masia this, la masia that. We want to see this youngster. We want to see this youngster. Then they kill a coach if that coach doesn't put the youngsters they want to see. If that coach doesn't give the youngsters the minutes they think they deserve. And then when a coach puts in a lot of youngster, which youngsters, which I think Kuman has done a bunch of, then people aren't that don't have the patience. And like you were saying, like, hey, if you put youngsters in more often than not, they're going to commit errors. So you got to accept the fact that they're going to do that and be patient with them. But a lot of Barca fans aren't. They want us to compete. They wanted us to play brave. And we just got to be realistic. Like, for example, Araujo. To me, Araujo, defending, he's our best center back. He's not the more, most complete. Like you were saying, he still has a bunch of – he has a way to go with the ball at his feet. Eric Garcia is better than, than, at him than that. PK is better at him than that. Mingueza is better at him than that. But defending-wise, I think Araujo is a monster. He's still – he's just, what, 22 or something like that. Yeah, he's 21 Garcia, years old, yeah. You were saying Eric Garcia might have to – get a little bit better at the defending aspect of it. He's he's really good with the ball at his feet, but he's still 20. Again, you were saying, same with Pedri. We said, Pedri is, isn't even 20. Frankie is, quote-unquote, the oldest one, and I don't think Frankie is even 25. So, yep. Valde is a youngster. Gabi is a youngster. Demir is a youngster. Des, when he plays, he's going to commit errors. He's really young. So, we just got to – again, I, I'm sounding like a, like a broken record, but – If we ask for young players and for young players to be given minutes, then we just got to put our patience hat. And when we play them, they're going to commit errors. We're going to concede goals. They're going to lose the ball in certain situations. And we just can't be screaming at the sky every single time because that's, that's what's going to happen. So again, I'm just, I'm just urging everybody. Yeah. Yeah. It's within. It's not just negative or all just not just positive. Because Araujo was definitely the biggest positive from this match. He was the man of the match for Barcelona. What he was doing defensively against Leroy Sané was, that is top shelf. That is Champions League caliber defending. He had in that game five clearances, three of four on ground duels, one, one of one on aerial duels. But, 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 Bayern Munich knew what he wasn't good at. And that is a testament to what Barcelona is right now, right? They don't have these completely well-rounded and finished products. He went one for five on long balls, and he lost possession seven times as a center back. And that tells you, once again, that Bayern were forcing him into channels that he's not comfortable playing with the ball at his feet, but his defending on the other side made up for that. His last defending, uh, again, his, his dominance on the ground. So Araujo, I think, is a perfect encapsulation of where Barca were uh, in that game. And the same actually can be said of De Jong, too. I know that at 24, he's been around a while. We expect him to be a finished product. I do argue that he's probably a top 10 midfielder in the world. But even in that game yesterday, he gives the wall away eight times compared to eight for uh, five for Pedri, five for Busquets. But the issue to me yesterday was the fact that Busquets and De Jong, they were under so much pressure, not only dealing with that press for Bayern Munich, but the fact that De Jong was kind of trying to make up with his ball playing for where Busquets couldn't be. And this is another issue where Busquets couldn't cover that horizontal space. And when you're playing against a number 10 or Rom Deuter, just like Thomas Muller, That is, his, that is his kryptonite. That is where we see Busquets at his worst when he can't guard and can't defend a, a number 10 that's going to continue to pop up and move away and, and move in all these different directions. And so you saw, I mean, some of those giveaways, one of the giveaways by Busquets and De Jong with that combination, 
leads to the first goal. And I believe it also leads to the second goal at some point, at some juncture where they lost possession and Bayern kept not allowing Barcelona to get out of their own half. So for Araujo, yeah, it's good and bad. For De Jong, it's good and bad. And that's the difference between a Bayern Munich and a, a Barcelona, where there's no vaunted protection for an Araujo and for a Pedri. They're issues that they still have because they're 18 years old and they're 21 years old are going to be exploited by hopefully only the likes of a Bayern Munich or only the likes of a PSG. And if we're trying to measure Barcelona against them, they're certainly going to fall up short for all the reasons that we understand. But if I can come out of that game and say, hey, De Jong did well with what he was given and what his job was because Barcelona outplayed Bayern Munich for the first 30 minutes. And because of the final scoreline, we do forget that Barcelona were playing in a different way, but they were playing the way they had to play to get some kind of result against Bayern Munich. But the wheels came off the bus around the 30. Well, once the first goal was scored in the 33rd minute. And I think this is the other thing that I think people are really criticizing where there might be a point to this, Rafa, that people are criticizing the players for once that first goal was scored, it felt like the wind had been taken out of the sails. It felt like not even bravery, but the desire that the, the fight that was necessary was not up to snuff. Did you see that with the team that, did, that they almost they recalled a little bit, accepting their fate? The thing, I saw that, and don't get me, look, I love Frankie and I love Pedri, but I was a little bit disappointed with them because we all know what, what they're capable of. We know how good they are and how good they can be, and we expect them to take the reins of the midfield and control the midfield in, in a way. And to me, to obviously, technically, they're amazing. But in this game, I just I just saw them like in, in, in second gear for the most part. I didn't see in them in this game that oomph, that like extra pressing that. I saw them like sometimes Frankie was trotting back when Bayern went on a counterattack and I was watching that, was screaming at my iPhone. And I was like, Frankie, like run get back. Like you got to help. And luckily in that play, it was in the first half. Bayern just like passed the ball back and we were able to like reassess defensively. But Frankie was literally just jogging back. And I compare that to when Gabi came in and Gabi to me, technically he, I'm in love with Gabi. He technically, he is amazing. And I think he has all the tools, whether he does it or not remains to be seen, but he has all the technical tools to be something really, really good with Barcelona. But what I loved more about Gabi when he came in, he rebelled. He was like, I don't care. This is Bayern Munich. He was even gave something as dumb as like following Bayern Munich players. He was like that rebellious player that was like, you're not going to embarrass us in our stadium. So yeah. he was just obviously technically getting the ball, controlling the ball, passing the ball, but he was pressing. He was following players. And I just loved that rebellion. And I was like, that's what I want to see from the other players. Just, just like, yeah, Bayern's better than us, but we can kick, give a, a kick here, a kick there, foul, just like show some rebellion at least. Like if we're going to go down, let's go down fighting. Well, for Gabi, yeah, he probably deserved two yellows in that game. But the question about the physicality and, you know, physically, you know, the athleticism and all that stuff being overrun, Gabi is what made it confusing because when Gabi came on, the pressure he was putting on, and yes, that probably dirty foul that he had on Leon Goretzka, Goretzka, he eats Gabi's weight 
in, for breakfast. I mean, that is what he, he literally had, like, you know, whatever, a, a frankfurter, whatever he had for breakfast or a, a, a verse, whatever he had for breakfast is the weight of Gabi. And yet Gabi took him down. And so I did roll my eyes a little bit about that when Goretzka went down because I said, oh, I don't, you know, I'm not sure about that. Yeah, but, all, you know, with, with, with Gabi coming out with that kind of fight and desire, that's the other thing about even a team like Granada on Monday, where with Pedri out, with, with Jordi Alba out, it makes a lot of sense. And unfortunately, yeah, Ricky Pouge, I can't see him starting. Likely it'll be Sergio Roberto, Busquets, and De Young. And I know people are going to get really frustrated at that starting lineup. I would prefer to see Gabi almost a like-for-like like for Pedri. Yet Ricky Pouge, I think, is a closer like-for-like like for Pedri, especially against a team like Granada, who's been playing a medium block this year. So I would like to see Ricky Pouge in that spot and Alejandro Balde starting for, for Jordi Alba. Instead of trying to reinvent the wheel, move to a 4-3-3 where everybody's going to be comfortable. Luke de Young heads back to the bench. And I know Martin Brothwaite is out too, but Yusuf Demir then needs to start. And Coutinho starts at the left wing. And I, I think for Kuman, there's an answer with the next lineup. There's an answer to this, what you kind of learned or, or, or the continuation of this game against Bayern Munich. Because what is completely unacceptable to me, the one stat that's unacceptable to me, Rafa, from this whole game is zero shots on target. That, whether that's on players, whether that's on manager, there is, I mean, Coutinho was the one who even tried to get a shot on target, except it just got blocked. But yeah, I mean, even with Coutinho, his shot, the reason his shot isn't on target is because his understanding with his teammates, the, the chemistry just, it still doesn't look right. I, I'm still uncomfortable with the idea of Coutinho. And that's probably the one player that I, unfortunately, I, I tend to heap on and not be very apologetic about. You know, Coutinho, he does have, he has something to prove to me and continue to have something to prove to me. But yeah, the zero shots on target to me is unacceptable. And yeah, I don't know if that comes out to players that comes out to manager but i mean how do you how do you see that that stat and what do you what do you take from that number i think it's number zero it was all i think it was always some of all like all parts that barn are way better than we are right now that we have a bunch of injuries that we have players that haven't played with each other that are still young and at the end of the day we just for the most part our only way of creating danger was like you were saying at the start, just trying to find Alba on the wing and then Alba crossing the ball, whether it was through the air, trying to find Luke de Young for a header or through the ground, trying to find, I don't know, Memphis or something like that. And then when Coutinho came in, he was like the only one that showed a little bit of flash going forward, trying to trying like his famous outside of the box shot to the far corner. And I think one of those shots went like way over and the other one was blocked. So I think it was just, it, it, I think it was just a, it was the circumstances. I look at our forwards. We literally had nothing available that could put in danger the likes of Bayern Munich. So maybe we could have gotten, yeah, maybe like one, two or three shots on target. I think three is unacceptable. I mean, zero is unacceptable. I completely agree. But I, to me, it's not that surprising given the fact that on top of that, on the right wing, we didn't have, we had Sergio Roberto who, was just playing the ball back because he doesn't, that's not his position. He can't go by people. He can dribble by people. So it was literally everything down Alba's flank. So, and Bayern Munich, like you were saying, Bayern Munich knew exactly what we were capable of, the little things we were capable of, which was like trying to find Alba and probably that's it. And all the things we weren't capable of, knowing that we had Sergio Roberto, that we had Araujo can play the ball from the back. So, it's just, again, it may sound silly or basic, but I quote PK what he said at the end. We are what we are. And the sooner that we accept 
what we are at this current moment and that we down the road when I like to compare this, like the famous Avengers scene when Captain America is like all beaten down and then the Avengers start popping out from behind. I think that's that's what it's going to be like a little bit when Ansu, Kuhn, um, Dembele and then Coutinho plays full 90 minutes. It's going to look like because right now we just got to accept what we are. And it's it's a club that's just not good enough to compete with the top tier of European football. Yeah, but, but totally normal. But again, I feel like a broken record, too, because, I mean, two weeks ago, your second leading scorer from last year left the club. Oh, yeah. Four weeks before that, the greatest player of all time left your club. And I, I, I just from the attack in particular, it's not I understand the the idea that going from, you know, Samuel Eto and Terry Henry and, and to Ronaldinho and Messi and then to say that now it's the likes of Luke de Young. It's not the likes of Luke de Young. Luke de Young is would have always been a bench player. He's supposed to be the bench player. It's supposed to be going from the likes of Terry Henry to Samuel Eto to Messi to Ansu Fati and Memphis Dubai and Usmane Dembele. And that's what it's supposed to be. That's supposed to be the transition and going to the likes of insert number nine that Barcelona is going to be saving up for the next two years for. Insert that name. That is the replacement for Messi. Not even his, not Messi, but his goals. That is the replacement for the, the number nine, the goal scorer. That it's not Luke de Young. Luke de Young is not, uh, he'll come up as a trivia answer on some of those quizzes about who their number nines are. He's not even the number nine. He wears 17. So it's not even calling him a number nine, but he's going to come up as, you know, a, oh, remember he was one of the forwards for Barcelona. So it's, it's not a, oh, look at us now, look at where we are. Yeah, it's where Barcelona is in this very moment. But that happens to be, again, if, if, if Fati comes back on Monday against Granada or comes back in two weeks time or three weeks time, and I'm not putting it all on his shoulders. It's not all on him because, again, Dembele is going to be back. Aguero is going to be back. And it doesn't mean that Barcelona is going to be beating Bayern Munich in December. Because, once again, it's a reminder that not only is this the same, basically the same team that won the treble with upgrades along the back line and as an upgrade with a manager, which is absurd, that they brought in probably the hottest manager in football over the summer from their direct rivals in the Bundesliga who won, you know, second overall. Right. So you don't compete with those kind of things. You don't compete with a club that's financially run so astutely as they do when you had Bartomeu for the last 10 years. And so, yeah, Barcelona, are, certainly I'm not going to expect them to get a result in December. And to the final point about, about Bayern Munich, the big difference is even watching Club uh, Bruges, I'm not even sure how to end it, but Club Bruges today against PSG. The, watching a team who has continuity and knows exactly who they are, and that's why Atlanta has surprised so many in Serie A for the last few seasons now, where they build up a chemistry, they build up an understanding of who they were and what they were, and they went out and they played their system. And the system became big, bigger and better than the players. The last time Barcelona played a 5-3-2 was under Kike Setien. The time before that, you have to go back to, I believe it was Ernesto Valverde in one of the El Clasicos, and that didn't go over too well. People didn't really like that. Um, but this is not a formation, not even a 3-5-2. A 5-3-2 is what Barcelona were in yesterday. That's not what they're comfortable with. That's not where, that supported the greatest majority of players, and that supported the defensive job that was necessary to, to, to get a result against Bayern Munich. But you look at that continuity on the other side, and compare that to Bayern Munich, who has been playing a 4-2-3-1 in every single official match that they have played since 2016, they have played a 4-2-3-1, regardless of who was starting in that match. Muller, of course, that's his position. Lewandowski, of course, that's his position. But they like-for-like like swap in that 4-2-3-1, and they've been doing it over, what, four to five coaches since 2016. And so Barcelona, I hope, will get back to a point 
when the other team is going to say, hey, let's watch the film. Barcelona play a 4-3-3 and we can't really do too much about it. It has to, we have to make our, our, our difference in the margins and against a 5-2-3-1 or a 3-5-2 or just whatever formation can get as many talented players out there that Kuman throws out there is not where Barcelona needs to be at the moment too. And I think that's stability and continuity. It's still, it's only September, Rafa. That's where we're at. That's where Barcelona is in, in a rebuilding phase. And I don't know if there's, there's much else to say here. It's going to be a much shorter, shorter podcast, but uh, do you have any other directions you want to take this in? No, real quick, because I, I, I'm, people are going to think this is like wrestling, that we just pre-planned this like a, like a wrestling match. But I completely agree. And I, what you were saying about Luke the Young, and I'll add Braithwaite, people, and I think it's unfair that give them so much slack because they were never brought in to be starters. They were brought in to be bench players. Luke the Young is brought in to, during the last 10, 15 minutes of a match so that we can throw crosses at him. And that's it. But given the circumstances, he was thrown, thrown to the Wolves against Bayern Munich without having played a single minute with Barcelona. And we, on top of that, that we aren't good enough at the moment, you were saying it, it's chemistry. Just look at PSG today in the Champions League. It's not that easy. Just even if you have great players, it takes time for them to get used to each other movement-wise, position-wise, Messi, Neymar, and Mbappe didn't look that great today because it was the first time they were playing together, and it's freaking Messi, Mbappe, and Neymar. So at the end of the day, you got a jogger not like Bayern Munich who have an incredible squad, have been, for the most part, have been playing together a long, long time. So they have a well-oiled machine that just happened to run over us in a point during the season that we aren't just, we aren't at, our best and it is what it is but like you were saying and that's how i want to finish it's i know for the people watching it's the fourth game of the season the fourth game we gotta be calm like we we can't be yelling at the sky again oh my god it's the end everything's bad and whatnot because it's literally the fourth game of the season and yeah. we just happened on the fourth game of the season with a bunch of injuries and still trying to figure out everything with Messi and, and Griezmann being gone. On top of that, we just went ahead against Mike Tyson in his prime. And sadly, we just got knocked down. It's just, it is what yeah, it is. I, mean, I think it could have been a lot worse. But I, I will say that I hope that I was a bit in this podcast. I feel like I was a bit more critical of Kuman and the squad than I usually am. I'm usually very optimistic, but people have known for weeks now how I feel about that optimism. I'm still full of optimism. You know, that 3 nothing loss to Bayern Munich doesn't take away any of the things I said prior to that match and how I feel about the team even next summer, or even, uh, you know, two years from now. If, if money is, you know, the financial situation that Barcelona off the field is dictating what's happening on the field. And, and you can see that. And even Ronald Koeman, as I've said before, he might be the right man for this job. I mean, with the exception of the Ricky Pooch apologist, he might be the right man for this job at this moment. But do I think that Barcelona are going to win a Champions League with, with, with Ronald Koeman? No, I don't. But this is his second season. He might even get one more next year. And then in two years' time, when the books are okay, when Fati's a star, when he's been re-signed, and Petty's been re-signed, and, and at least at least 70 to 80% of these young talents that we're talking about have come to be the good and be a part of that 17, 18 squad list that is trusted, then we're, I mean, that is what we're building to. And for me, I try to get excited about the margins of seeing how Balbe was doing with Barca B last year as comparing him to now. Because he, earlier in the day, when the Juvenil Oz beat Bayern Munich by the score of 2 nothing, and that one actually could have been, just like Barca's first team lost 3 nothing, and that could have been 6 nothing. the 
U19s, they won 2 nothing. That one could have been 8 nothing against the Bayern Munich U19. So the, the La Masia continues to, to pump out these players, but that U19 squad was missing Alejandro Balbe because if he hadn't been called up by the first team, he would have played in that match today with the U19s and been part of that 2 nothing. So that's just how young they are. So I'm excited about seeing where they are and, and these young players, and they're going to be tested this year. Now, the test for Kuman to fail, like, again, I don't think this is a pass fail on Bayern Munich. I don't think you can fail against Bayern Munich because they, they were always going to lose. But, you know, it was just how humiliating would it be? And I don't actually think it was that humiliating. There was a bit of luck on every goal. Now, in two weeks' time, when Barcelona play against Benfica, if you lose to Benfica, 2-0 or 3-0, if Barcelona are in the Europa League, then yes, that is where there, there's criticism to be found. That is where you really do deserve to get on the manager. That's where you get on the players. You question which players are the right players for that job. But again, I, I don't know what we learned from Bayern Munich. But again, Benfica, Dinamo Kiev, you have to advance from this group. You have to get second. And then even with second place, I mean, even if you had first place, you might, you're going to face PSG or Man City or whoever it is. You're going to face a difficult, uh, a difficult group winner or a difficult runner-up in a group. Bayern Munich is still going to have a difficult opponent in the next round. Likely. Yeah, that, 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 that's the thing. Like, we, we just got to be realistic and compare ourselves, like you were saying, to the likes of, like, when we play against Benfica, against uh, Dinamo Kiev. Like, we can't come to any conclusions against freaking Bayern Munich because this was what was going to happen 99.9% of the time. So it's, it's, it doesn't do us any favors and the fan base and we're not to be pessimistic because – if we weren't beating Bayern Munich, it's the ugly truth. But like you were saying, if we don't beat Benfica, if we, I don't even want to say it, but if we end up in the Europa League, then of course that would be a disaster. And, but it be, when this group was announced, I think everybody was saying, yeah, like we're not going to finish first, but we do have to finish second. Anything, if we finish third or fourth, then that's a complete failure. And if we don't qualify for the next round, then maybe I could see Kuman getting the sack. But if we finish second, play well against Benfica and whatnot, that's that's what we should be doing. So like I I, I just I just agree with you. Like we can't yeah. be comparing ourselves to Bayern Munich because that, that's just not realistic. Yeah, I mean the last point about like emotion, I like to stick on the Bayern Munich point. The last point of emotion is that you know, what was rock bottom, right? Was it Roma? Was it Liverpool? Was it the 8-2 against Bayern Munich? Uh, even is it, is it last night? Those questions you ask, when is rock bottom? And it feels like Barcelona is in this period where it's it's almost fortunate, where I'm hoping that this is as low as they go, or this this string of getting knocked out in the, in the knockout stage of the Champions League because the expectations with Messi were to win the Champions League, that that's as low as it gets. Because look at the state that Arsenal are in, look at the state that Manchester United, AC Milan, Look at the state of other former Champions League winners that had either financial troubles or they mismanaged their squad or they had a, n a number of, of ways. I mean, how low can Arsenal go at this point? And they, that while they never won the Champions League, they were a contender for the Champions League, right? 2006, if you had told me that Arsenal, where they'd be in 2021, it'd be hard to believe because of where they had just been with the Invincibles. And, you know, so if, if Barcelona, if this is the lowest valley that Barcelona is in. I can sleep well at night knowing that I'm I'm supporting a team that's going to be right back, just like even Real Madrid when they have their low days. I just, I mean, it's it's different in the UK, but even Chelsea, right? Chelsea had a few days where when it was Frank Lampard and they're in sixth and eighth place, and you're like, oh, are they going to qualify for the Champions League? And then they wind up winning the Champions League last season. 
So it's it's a matter of if this is as low as Barca is, if, and not by being this whole stretch of the whole time, and I roll my eyes at this, basically the whole time we've been hosting the podcast since Neymar left. But if, if this period from 2017 to 2021 is this low point for Barcelona, they can make the proper signings, fix the finances, and they're back up on the rise. I mean, you, you can live with that as a Kool-Aid looking around at the Man Uniteds and the AC Milans and the Arsenals and the other giants and seeing it how low that their lowest point was. The only thing that I do, again, hesitate to say is, the worrisome thing about finances and big finances in football between PSG, Man City, and the Premier League, th- this idea that the financial imbalances will be perpetual, that is the only thing that makes me a little weary. That it, it's not necessarily even a meritocracy anymore about what you put in, what you put on the field. Yeah, at the end of the day, I, I think we'll be fine, especially when we start recovering our losses from COVID and whatnot. Like a club like Barcelona, who depended so much on match tickets, museum and tourists going to Barcelona and by proxy going to the camp. No, whether it was for a tour of the stadium or to, to watch games and whatnot. Like when we start slowly but surely recovering from that, I think that's when we'll, we're going to start seeing better on-field product because what you were saying, the, the whole aspect of this is creating homegrown talent and then seeing what you have and what you don't have and what you don't have, you go out and look for it and try and find the best players for those positions and, and sprinkle that on the starting 11. And I think right now, well, last year we weren't able to do that this year. Again, we were just able to sign free agents basically. And the sooner we're able to do that, whether it's next summer, the summer after that, then slowly, but surely I think we're, we're going to be good. It's just going to be, it's, for the, the next year or so, we just got to know what our measuring stick is. And it certainly as hell is, isn't Bayern Munich or Liverpool, Chelsea, City, PSG. It's not those tier one, as I like to call them. Our measuring stick is tier two. Whoever you want to put on tier two, but that's our measuring stick. Put the stick. Spanish teams there. Atletico Madrid, I, Real Madrid. Real Madrid, Atletico Madrid. I, I, I still, for, for El Clasico, I, we're getting up for El Clasico. I'm going to be disappointed if there's not a result again in, in El Clasico. Because I, I think the other two Spanish teams are the measuring stick. I watched the Celta Real Madrid game and Madrid were shambles at the back. If Celta were a little bit better up top, they would have even tied that game. Like at the end of the day, Madrid is, I think they don't have Mbappe yet. I sure hope they don't get Haaland as well. So right now, I, like Madrid are on the same boat. Vinicius has been playing well, but if we get Ansu Fati back, he is, in my opinion, a hundred times better than Benicius. So we're kind of, everybody's on the what you, same. What you said, in my opinion, I didn't know what you were getting. I didn't know what number you were getting. Maybe not a hundred times, but I, no, I be, think a hundred times. Even though Benicius has been, hey, I was very critical better. of him, but he's getting better in front of goal, which I thought wasn't possible, but <laughs> kudos were like credit where credit is due. But I think they're on the same boat as us. Like they are not great whatsoever. Right. Like as you were saying, Atletico as well. Like I just don't, like they have their flaws as well. So that's our measuring stick. It's not the tier one of the champions league, like yep. top, top contenders. Yep. Yeah, I agree. And you know, this is a different kind of podcast that we did. I, I don't want to measure this one against other podcasts, the other ones that we've done. Cause those are a little more structured. This was just off the cuff. This is just what we were feeling today. And Rafa, this is why I brought you on. Cause I, I know you're good at just speaking off the top of the dome. You don't need a rundown, just get right into it. So yeah, Rafa, where can people find you and some of that other stuff that you do off the top of the dome? Well, you can find me on YouTube on Mesquion Podcast. Obviously, over there, it's in Spanish. So if you know Spanish, go over there, subscribe. 
We just like to go as a little bit of a different structure. We just like to go live, have our chat. You can speak our mind. You can criticize Kuman, be a Kuman apologist like me. Um, and just go over there in uh, YouTube, Mescom Podcast, and l let it all out. Like, literally, it's it's basically how I like to do it. I, I'm not a very structured guy, so I'm used to, like, just shooting from the hip, and that's it. So if you know Spanish, if you don't, that's a good way to learn. And uh, that's it. Honestly, thanks for having me again. I love to come here. The better, if we don't have a rundown, even better because that way it's just it just flows and i i can improvise i think i'm good at improvising so again i ha had a wonderful time and hopefully next time we'll be talking about how great ansu fati's comeback was agreed <laughs> agreed agreed yeah as far as the rundown part though yeah ansu fati coming back would help me with the rundown a little more positivity but yeah if i don't have one everybody uh, who knows me well knows that i i shirt circuit if i don't have charts or or rundowns or things written down everyone knows that so uh speaking of writing things down or, or, or following everybody everywhere it's twitter and instagram at the barcelona pod our close facebook group the barcelona podcast a lot of discussions uh not so positive but also people are i think really clear-headed over there too and you answer the questions i let you and Patreon is also where you can get these shows without the ads and a little financial incentive to support the show. And we're also on YouTube with those match reviews or match headlines as I've been doing now uh, after these matches. So I'll keep trying to do that over there on the YouTube channel. But uh, more importantly on YouTube, once you're at the Barcelona page, also check out the Mesque Un podcast page on YouTube, of course, do that. So most importantly, though, thanks so much for listening to the Barcelona podcast. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon. And win or lose against Bayern Munich, Forza Barca. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945.